the state of the National Airspace podcast takes off now. This is Rin Duke. I'm the Senior Director of Government Affairs at AOPA. I handle airspace and air traffic issues. Um, I've been with AOPA five years. My background is military air traffic controller, and I'm a fixed-wing and rotary-wing pilot. Aviation. this is Justin Seams, the host of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Today, I'm talking with Rune Duke. Rune Duke is the Senior Director of Government Affairs at AOPA. I want to give a special shout out to Kevin Cortez and AOPA for being so great and setting this up so quickly. AOPA is a great organization and definitely check them out and consider a membership if you are not a member already. But Aviation, this is a great episode. We talk with Rune Duke and he is kind of at the front lines. He knows what's going on. He is a part of some of the decisions that are being made and he is in the loop of what's going on. We talk anything and everything national airspace system. We talk about the chances of it being shut down, which some of you might be surprised to hear this, but they actually haven't even thought of that yet. That's not even uh, a tool that they're thinking about using because airspace is such a big necessity for us right now. We need to move cargo. We need to move a bunch of things, a bunch of military, and it definitely serves a purpose right now. So they're not even thinking about that. Uh, We talk about the events at uh, Midway, Vegas, JFK, and we talk about Indy Center. We also talk about contingency plans that they have to help battle those. And we talk worst case scenario, which sector, which tower, which whatever would be kind of the worst one to go ATC zeros. So Aviation, please listen to this podcast. Please share it with everyone you know. Leave us a review if you haven't already. A review will definitely help more people find this podcast on iTunes. I think this could be a beneficial podcast for people that are not just in the aviation industry. So share it with everyone you know. Get this podcast out there. Aviation, if you want to find more news about how coronavirus is affecting the aviation industry, go to aviationcoronavirusnews.com. You can find our website, pilotthepilothq.com. And check us out on Instagram at Pilot the Pilot. We had our first blog post today. It is not by me. It's by one of my pilot friends. And he wrote a pretty good one. It is called Dear My Future Self. And it just talks about how this has affected him personally. Aviation, go check that out. And without any further ado, here's Rune Duke. Rune, what's going on? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Thank you, Justin. Happy to participate. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited uh, to have you here. When uh, my friend Kevin reached out, who works at social media at AOPA, he said, hey, you want to get him on the podcast? I was like, absolutely, get him on. This is so relevant to what's going on right now and what you do. So <laughs> this is, uh, I think this will be a very informative and you're going to answer, help answer some questions or help maybe ease some fears or maybe just give some insight of what's going on. And because you were there, you know, you're kind of, yeah, you're kind of understanding what's going on and you hear a lot more than what everyone else is hearing. So it's just kind of here to do this. Yeah. Well, thank you for the invitation. Happy to, uh, to give the latest, you know, things are moving um, quickly on all fronts and particularly so in aviation. Yeah, they are. And quickly is a very good word. I mean, what last night, so Midway was two days ago, they closed Midway tower for a suspected case uh, Las Vegas today was JFK. They evacuated the tower and now they're operating a remote mm-hmm. tower. And I believe Indy Center, I believe the whole east half or the east part of Indy Center above 230 is uh, ATC zero. So that's kind of where we are right now. And I'm guessing, and I'm guessing the airspace is, con- is preparing for uh, more centers and more towers to have uh, suspected cases or confirmed cases. Yeah, no, things are moving fast, and we are seeing a number of facilities having operational impacts. Um, The FAA does have contingency plans. Um, They're putting those into place. Um, It might help just to, to, you know, um, provide a couple definitions, some of the terms that are being used right now. I know ATC, yeah, ATC zero is is a common term that that we use. Um, You know, Midway is an example where they had to shut down operations for a period of time. That was ATC zero. That's where the facility is no longer able to um, 
safely provide air traffic services. So that's where um, the operational contingency plan um, takes effect. Um, the operational contingency plan, those exist for all the air traffic facilities um, run by the FAA. And that's where the affected facility and the support facilities have to undertake certain um, certain procedures. And that is to provide some type of continuity for safe operations and for the aircraft that are already in the airspace. Um, Indy Center, um, as you said, is, is one of the facilities that's affected right now. But in that facility, only a, a specific area, a couple sectors are actually affected. And as you said, the high altitude sector is about flight level 230. And that would be what's called ATC limited. That's where um, there's a degradation of services, more than one areas, maybe in operations or capabilities, but not in overall of the facility. Um, you know, uh, I would say Las Vegas, that's another example of ATC zero. Um, it just so happens also this week, uh, we had an earthquake in Salt Lake City and Salt Lake City Tower was also ATC zero. Um, the Tracon was also ATC zero for a short period of time. Um, the good news today was uh, Salt Lake City Tower is back up and running. Um, so the, the damage was not so severe there. Um, but these operational contingency plans that we've had for, for a while um, are certainly getting tested now. Um, the FAA has had uh, operational contingency plans as a high priority ever since the Chicago fire um, between the Office of the Inspector General, Congress, and, and the airlines and the public, us. A lot of focus on what happens if a facility gets affected. Um, most ATC zero events, and I'll just you know quote you a few from the last year, were for fire alarms, water alarms, um, routine maintenance, hurricane, high winds. Those are the things that could cause a facility to say be evacuated. That is the most common. It's just an evacuation. But what we're seeing with COVID nineteen and people becoming affected is. Now the surfaces within the facility itself are contaminated. The staff at the facility are potentially, um, you know, uh, affected by this. They may need to be quarantined. They need to be tested. And within an aircraft facility, it's very difficult to do social, um, you know, isolation. You really are most of the time up against someone else. It's just the way the tower facilities, TRACONs, the RCs are set up is, Someone needs to be with you most of the time to support you when you're on the position or be near you so you can do coordination. Um, so it, what's very different, in my opinion, with COVID-19 is some of the duration um, with these air traffic facilities um, becoming essentially affected and the staff becoming affected and some of these facilities being looking at a long-term ATC zero. But the staff, if, if we cannot staff a facility, if we can get not get personnel there, that's going to have a long-term effect. Um, so there's very much a human component, um, kind of a human crisis component to this. Um, but the operational contingency plans, they, they're taking effect midway, you know, uh, with that facility, it goes to the Chicago TRACON, Las Vegas, it went to the Las Vegas TRACON, and um, things are, are happening appropriately. Um, but what happens during any event is inefficiency. Number one is safety. Um, and so what we're seeing are delays. We're seeing ground delay programs. We're seeing um, flight programs. Um, we're seeing all kinds of inefficiency that lead people to think that it's it's not being handled well. And I would say the FAA is handling everything appropriately, but it is also just inherently inefficient. 
Um, when an operational contingency plan gets uh, you know needed and it's implemented because of an ATC zero event, the adjacent facilities are generally trying to assume that airspace authority, and that can take a little bit of time. Frequencies need to be changed over. You have to open up those additional sectors in that other facility that was probably not staffed to suddenly take over those uh, that airspace. Um, and in many cases, this alternative staff, the staff that was affected, can't just go to those other facilities. And that is part of a lot of plans. Okay, you have a fire alarm, you have a fire. Well, those controllers could then drive to another facility up the street um, and, and try to provide the services and that continuity. But that's not, that's not possible here. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of different angles to this that are, that are still being worked out. A lot of lessons learned. Um, the FAA is doing a lot with industry. Um, a lot of telecoms going on um, to discuss lessons learned, to talk about the real-time impact, um, especially with the airlines. Most of the facilities impacted right now are hubs for airlines. Um, Southwest Airlines was very impacted by Midway and by the, uh, the um, uh, initial, uh, I would say, um, communication of what the expectation was for arrival um, rates and, and how many aircraft. I know they had to go to airborne holding and then to diversions. And that's what we don't want to see happen. We'd rather see flight cancellations. We'd like to be able to flight plan um, appropriately and also fuel aircraft appropriately. So there's been a lot of discussion about having clear communication of what pilots should expect and dispatchers should expect. Yeah. Um, so we don't run into an issue of airborne holding or, um, or flights or, uh, or diversions. Absolutely, we, we want to avoid diversions. I was going to say, I think we learned a lot from the Midway one. It only happened a couple of days ago too. So they learned probably it's best to put up a TFR. So you can't just have a 152 come in and start doing touch and goes. And they learned that it, how to handle that with the trade con, like you said, how to appropriately have them take over. And unfortunately it is going to take one or two or three of these to happen before we can kind of perfect it and figure out exactly how we need to handle it and what the process is. Because like you said, ATC zero has happened in the past for a couple of things, but it's never been like this. They can't just go drive to another sector. Like it's, it's, it's being impacted in ways that it hasn't before. So this is a, a new learning experience for everyone. Oh, very much so. And and you bring up the temporary flight restrictions. Yes, that, that was um, TFRs targeting general aviation um, specifically because of, uh, you know, when you don't have a tower, but you still have a large number of operations and air carrier operations and people aren't necessarily, um, you know, handling that in, in a fair manner or in a, in a fair practice. Um, you're going to have flight restrictions. So that's very unfortunate. And it adds a burden to a lot of the general aviation operators flying in there who may need to now call ahead or or have additional um, conversations with the FAA to fly in that airspace. So we very much want to avoid that. Very much encourage pilots to check NOTAM, check for ATC delays um, when you're flying IFR and flying into these locations. Um, and even the adjacent satellite airports are affected. Um, it's just the nature of things. If, if, JFA, if um, JFK Tower has to shut down for a period of time. Now we might have airborne holding, we might have delays, and that's going to certainly affect New York Tracon. That's going to affect Teterboro. That's going to affect all of the satellite airports that were within that airspace. And then when you talk about large airports like Las Vegas and Midway losing 75 to 90% of their traffic, um, there can be NAS-wide impacts uh, adjacent centers and even centers all across the country 
Um, and for general aviation, flying IFR, even at lower altitudes, you know, Cessna 182, Cessna 172s, just trying to fly IFR, um, you can expect some of these delays, even though it may be a tower several states away. Um, there are trickle-down impacts um, that affect other sectors that now need to handle more traffic than they otherwise would. I guess one question that comes into my mind, and I think other people will be thinking this too, is obviously people are speculative about the airspace and shutting it down. And some people think that that's the proper move to do. Some people think that's what we need to do. I mean, just ideas and opinions aside, this is kind of just like a realistic question. How many ATC zeros can the system take at once before it becomes to an unsafe situation? You know, is that kind of planned for, is that being thought about? That's a good question. Um, So I, I think there's a lot of discussions about how many ATC zeros, you know, the NAS could accept. And that goes to uh, the operational contingency plans that are in place of um, if we lose one center, but then the center adjacent also uh, goes ATC zero, um, we might lose continuity of that airspace um, to be able to provide certain services. But the loss of services doesn't inherently mean that the NASA is shutting down or air traffic operations or flight operations need to stop. Um, I think all conversations are um, still at the stage of we need to ensure safe and efficient operations of the NAS. Certainly airline traffic is decreasing, but military traffic, um, cargo traffic, all of the response efforts related to COVID-19 are underway. I mean, these, these operations are, are happening very often, and we need air traffic to safely separate this. So, um, no, we do not expect anything like 9-11, where there was a uh, cessation of air traffic operations and of the NAS. That is not the case here. Um, we expect air traffic controllers to come to the, do their job. They are essential employees, um, just like pilots are still allowed to fly. You are still allowed today to go out and do touch and goes. And that's not planning to be changed anytime soon. That's good. Yeah. And if it ever was planning to be changed rather than say a blanket on all travel ban, it's kind of like you said, it's going to be, it's going to trickle down. So I'm guessing they would need to limit the airspace and limit who is in it. If there's a limited amount of controllers or a limited amount of uh, IFR separation. So I'm guessing that might even start at general aviation and then kind of, I'm guessing they would try to keep as much as possible of uh, the the fractionals, the business aviation, because they're moving a lot of people right now. I don't know if that's being reported, but uh, some, some 135, 91 operations fractionals. I mean, I'm not saying that they're doing great, but they have an increase in demand right now. And those people need to be successfully moved. And this is kind of essential for them staying alive over the next month. And then you get to cargo. As we talked about, cargo is booming right now. We have the need to move cargo and obviously airlines, their demand is a lot lower, but they still need to move their airplanes. They still have schedules that they're supposed to keep just in case people are flying and they need to keep moving those planes. And it's very interesting. I talked with my last podcast, the state of the industry part two, we talked about how airlines are in a very weird position because if they furlough, the demand is going to come back so probably soon and quicker than they can bring those furloughed pilots back. So they're going to be hurt even more into the future if they do mass furloughs in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, there, there are already mechanisms um, in the NAS for air traffic to handle areas where we say lose surveillance capability if a radar breaks. Um, there's already mechanisms in place in case we lose an entire center because of a fire. Um, there's been a lot of lessons learned from different national uh, natural disasters, from the fire issue at Chicago Center, and many other ATC zero events over the past few years. I mean, we 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 don't have an insignificant number of ATC zero events 
Um, we've, we've learned from those events. And FAA certainly works with industry and they do exercises where they work with industry. Um, and and there, so there are mitigation strategies. I know the FAA, um, Jim Lenny specifically, uh, director at FAA, has been very proactive. And I, I think we are benefiting from that. But when we have an airport affected, you know, there are ground delay programs. When we have an airspace area affected, we have airspace flow programs. There are ways to mitigate even large areas of the country um, potentially losing air traffic services um, to the level that they get today. There may be degraded services, there may be inefficient services, but there are still ways that can be mitigated, can be handled in real time to try to make sure there are continued operations. Um, so I, I, I think we're, we're still early days. Um, we should see probably in the next few days, um, uh, you know, uh, changes. Um, but uh, the FAA is still working with industry very closely to mitigate any adverse impact. And so I think we're a long, long ways away from even having the discussion of um, suggesting the airspace needs to be closed. Right. And when you say we're a few days away from changes, I'm guessing you're referring to the fact that it's such a fluid situation and we're learning from what's happening and they're making changes to the plans and how they're going to react. Not like you said, not to close down in mass airspace or even shut it down completely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, good. Good to clarify that. Um, you know, the FAA has had a number of lessons learned calls just from the Midway event. Yeah. Um, so hopefully future events, should there be any, um, will be handled, um, efficiently and communication between the airlines, general aviation will be, um, seamless. That's, that's what we want. We got to all communicate. And so bottom line pilots should be checking modems and checking for those air traffic delays. So that way there are no surprises. Is everything being communicated? So obviously you're checking your notums, but I mean, uh, this is so fluid and changing so quickly that it could change when you're up in the air. It could change in your hour flight. Is there, are they doing a proper of how, is it being communicated well enough up in the air uh, on the frequencies? And so maybe a general aviation pilot that's flying somewhere can be notified quick and early enough. Yeah. If you're flying IFR and you're talking to air traffic and your destination is, is in that airspace or, or even that airport, um, there is a process in place to ensure the other facilities, the other sectors, and if your aircraft has that flight plan, to try to do the notification. Um, but if it happens on very short notice, that, that can be challenging, mm-hmm. um, no matter what the situation. Um, so uh, I, I think we all have to be flexible and understanding that um, you know some of these events are, are simply unavoidable, and we all have to react to them. Yeah. No, we definitely do. And I mean, there's, there's a lot of like worst case scenarios you can think of, like even think about the company that I fly for. We do a lot of, um, of flights from Pawaukee to Midway. We don't have a ton of fuel. Like just imagine if both of those places go ATC zero at one time, O'Hare is being, has kind of like a mass amount of traffic added. Like it could just, there's a lot of things that come with this. So there's a lot of preparation that companies need to do when they're doing their flight planning. Maybe they need to take more fuel on all flights just because you don't like we, you don't know who's going to be next. You don't know what ATC facility might go ATC zero, how long your reroute's going to be or kind of what could come with this and what the reactions might be. Yeah. Although we, we don't know um, necessarily what is coming next. Um, you know, the, the cases so far have been few when you look at the total number of facilities in the NAS, um, the operations affected have been a large number um, because they are busy airports. Um, but certainly there is the possibility for small facilities um, like contract towers, FAA, small towers, classy airspace, um, you know, over time, if, if more people are affected by COVID-19, there is a potential for additional facilities 
But the FAA is putting um, processes in place to try to mitigate those effects, um, even within facilities, trying to avoid um, various sectors um, having that, um, uh, you know, social social distancing, trying to keep people apart, things like that. But, you know, in tower facilities, it, it is more challenging. And um, within sectors, it's also very challenging. Do you think this is going to change the future of how traffic separation or how ATC controllers work? Well, it might be too early to say, um, you know, the long-term impact of COVID-19. Um, we're, we're, we're still early days mm-hmm. in, in this, but I think there are going to be a lot of lessons learned um, on the operational contingency plans. Um, it is stressing the system. I'll put it that way. And it's having an impact on air traffic, on airlines, on general aviation. Um, but COVID-19 is is unique we're in extraordinary times and um i think we're all trying to work together and react appropriately and try to keep the system moving um, because there are there are important missions for these flights and um we need to keep the system moving absolutely i agree i think keeping the system moving especially for the essentials i mean we need cargo we need the military to do what they're doing we need to, to still move people to and from where they need to go um i guess one question i wanted to ask is i know people are kind of comparing this to the like there's two different, so September 11th, the whole world stopped, uh, the air service stopped for a couple of days. It's a, uh, it was, ba- I mean, it was a different kind of fear in 2001 than what the fear is now. So why, I guess when you're compl- comparing the two types of fears of why people don't want to fly, why would you say that now it's more essential for us to keep it open than it was back then and then to shut it all down? Sure. Yeah. Well, 9-11, you know, the aircraft were used as an instrument for terror. Right. Um, and at that time there was a, uh, a lot of concern about the risk of aircraft um, being airborne and being used as that tool. So, um, you know, with terrorism, it was, it was very different. There was a concern and they needed to ground the aircraft for security reasons. In this case, um, you know, there is concern about aircraft being used to move the disease or be a vector for the disease. There are mitigations for that, but the air traffic system is also being used to fight the disease. Um, the movement of testing kits, movement of personnel by the military, by uh, relief efforts, Red Cross. Um, these are fundamental ways to, to um, support the relief effort. And, you know, most of us teleworking or being at home now in social, iso- social isolation um, to stock groceries, to get your packages from Amazon, to get all of those normal goods delivered to your neighborhood to try to keep a semblance of um, normal society. Um, requires air traffic. And so I, I think uh, everyone is, is doing their best to keep everything moving safely and efficiently, um, and not to mention the economy. Um, this is a, a key component of the economy and our GDP, um, just like trucking is. And so I think uh, we're all working very hard to keep that up. Agreed. And you work in close relation with like people in the FAA or the government or maybe even airline executives and just kind of the decision-making people. What would you say the, the overall vibe is? I mean, I know that we said we're stressing the system. Uh, do they seem, do they seem pretty stressed by this too? Or are they just in full attack mode trying to figure out the best way to do this? I mean, just like what's the overall vibe of the, of that community right now? Uh, yeah, no, the vibe is very much, um, collaborative, uh, working through the problems together. Um, I know the FAA, their management, the executives are all very much dedicating their time to this effort. Um, a lot of working beyond nine to five for sure to try to figure out the best solutions to the problems. 
Um, but we're, we're all dealing with it, you know, and as people get exposed, they might have to remove themselves from the equation of working in the facility. And that, that in of itself is, is part of this, um, this challenge of COVID-19 as people get sick and might have to isolate themselves. Um, but we're working through all those things. So I, I think the FAA is, is being as proactive as they possibly can. Yeah, I mean, I would agree too. And like we said, this is this is uncharted territory. So I mean, we don't know what the right decisions or wrong decisions until until we're a year away and we see, hey, that worked or hey, that didn't work. You know, so we're all learning from what's going on. We're all right. learning from mistakes. It's very fluid, and we're making the decisions that need need to be made, and we feel that need to be made. Uh, one question I had, and I don't know if you can really answer this, but it's a question I was thinking about the whole time we've been talking is, is there a facility, so say like a Chicago O'Hare, we talked about New York airspace, say they go ATC zero for an extended period of time. Is there one facility that is more at risk of kind of causing more chaos than others? Is there like one specific you can think of the top of your head would be like worst case scenario to go ATC zero? Sure. Um, yeah, well, there are certain facilities that are um, certainly have more volume. Um, New York is one that certainly has more volume. And, and by such, if it, if it gets affected and other facilities have to take over and then we have airspace flow programs and everything else, um, you will feel that all over the country as far as delays. Um, there are other facilities that are geographically isolated. Um, you know, you can think about Anchorage Center, for example where there are um, few adjacent facilities that would be able to accommodate that traffic or have the capability of accommodating that traffic. Um, and certain facilities that do oceanic traffic, um, there are challenges with that. And um, so I, I know there are some places that you, you may not think about Anchorage Center, but if we lose a lot of the traffic um, flying to and from Asia, they might have to take some more indirect routes, like via Hawaii. Um, it could be more expensive. It could be more time-consuming if they have to avoid Anchorage airspace. Um, just like the traffic within Alaska. Those communities within Alaska are remote and rely on aviation. And it could be that much more challenging to fly IFR if we're doing different types of separation and, and having delays. So um, it, it's varied. I, I would say just about any air traffic facility is going to have an impact. It just, it depends on the community and it depends on um, who uses that airport and who's going to feel it most. Yeah, I agree. And I guess one silver lining to what we talked about, Alaska and uh, maybe Air Inc. or some of uh, the oceanic crossings is that that is significantly dropped down. So the the traffic wouldn't necessarily be the worry and hitting another airplane or any kind of that it would be more of, can you get enough fuel? It's going to be more expensive. That's going to be more of the issue that we see there. Right, right. Yeah, no, there's, there's different um, considerations. And as you say, it may not be a consideration of you hitting another aircraft, but to ensure, right, the fundamental requirement of air traffic control is to ensure you're not hitting another aircraft, is to be able to, someone needs to have authority over that airspace. Right. Um, so, so that will continue. I know we're doing non-towered operations at some of these very large airports. Midway, for example, was non-towered. Las Vegas was non-towered. But there were safety mitigations put in place. Um, they were, the air traffic system was still working on which runways, um, would be used. The airports were a key component of that. But, um, you know, if this continues and different facilities get affected, we'll just, we'll just have to work on each one as they come. Yeah. I mean, you kind of said it right. Work on each one, each one as they come. It's going to be kind of like, 
we're taking every kind of hit as we can and figuring out what's best on the fly because like we said, we don't have anything to compare this to. It's very different than the fear we had over 9-11. The situation is very different. The need for airspace to be opened and to move uh, cargo, to move essentials is just massive right now. We need more masks. We need more fl- We need more toilet paper, apparently, because everyone wants to stock up on toilet paper. But we just need more essentials. And obviously, shutting down the airspace right. would make that a lot harder. I don't know what a shutdown of the airspace would look like. I'm sure it would still include cargo and military. So, But that's, like you said, that... As of right now, I want to ease everyone's fears and ease everyone's kind of the rumor and speculation. That's not really even on the table right now from what you're saying. No, 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 it is not. And, um, you know, if you fly VFR, um, a lot of these impacts will not affect you at all, right? You can continue flying VFR and uh, normal operations, just check notums. Flying IFR, depending on your altitudes, depending on where you're flying, depending on the facilities you're going to be talking to, you may see impacts. Um, even, even many States away from where the facility is, that is actually impacted. Um, so be cognizant of that. And if you can fly VFR, but no matter what, check notams and, um, air traffic delays is where you can get the most up-to-date information. The FAA pretty much makes everything publicly available via their FAA OIS webpage. And you can find a lot of this information in real time, just like I do in real time. Um, so everything's changing fast, but that's a really good resource. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I've talked about this before. The website I started, aviationcoronavirusnews.com. I set up a, a link on there under the FAA to see where the delays are. So you can just click right there. It takes you right to the page and you can see all the delays at every airport. You can click on it. Like you said, ever, all the information is public, which is great, especially in a time like this, because sometimes information doesn't spread at the right time or people lie. But this is the perfect time to have all that information right at your fingertips. And it is right there. Uh, one other thing that I want to talk about before we go is there's obviously this government bailout that might be coming to the airlines and you are part of AOPA. You work over with uh, p- people in Washington. What kind of uh, understanding do you have of this bill that's being made and what kind of part is AOPA playing in this? Yeah, absolutely. I, our legislative affairs team is very involved. Um, we sent a letter along with uh, other industry groups representing general aviation. Um, we've also talked with uh, airports. Um, and so there are a lot of different entities talking with Congress, working with Congress to ensure that those entities adversely impacted by the economic realities of COVID-19 are being, uh, compensated, are being, um, you know, maintained throughout this because the last thing we want to see are businesses going under, um, you know, entities affected that we want to keep going. So, uh, we're very much involved from a general aviation point of view focusing on flight schools, focusing on small GA airports, keeping people in business, ensuring there is fuel, ensuring there is continuity of operations, um, up and down the, you know, the capabilities from business aviation to your small general aviation. Um, we're very much involved in, in fighting and making sure our voice is heard in Congress. Would, uh, would a bailout be just airline and cargo specific? I know you said it kind of the flight schools, the smaller GA, but even think about business aviation. I know they, they maybe they don't necessarily have the government ties or anything, but would they consider including uh, the fractionals or even some smaller 135s that kind of maybe have a necessary, uh, necessary part in the actual air system? Yeah, no, I believe um, everything's on the table. There are a few different bills um, being discussed right now, including one about a trillion dollars worth. And, uh, within that, I mean, there are discussions about trucking companies, Boeing, airlines, the cargo, it is a long line. Even the airports are, are talking about a $10 billion component of that. So, um, 
yeah, I, I, I think anything and everything is on the table. But the importance for Congress right now is, is certainly keeping the critical system moving and helping those entities, uh, you know, survive, survive what is truly an extraordinary event. Yeah, I mean, you said it right on the table. It truly is an extraordinary event. It is it's something that we've never seen before. It's something that we never really even could prepare before. You know, it's uh, you, you think and you hear about this kind of stuff and you always think like, man, like you hear about the Spanish flu or you hear about like all these other tragedies and you just never think that this is going to happen when you're alive or in your time period. So it's just, it, it's crazy. I mean, we're, we're truly in living history right now. Absolutely. And um, AOPA is, is very much involved. Um, we're doing all kinds of uh, advocacy with FAA as far as aircraft certification, airman certification, medical issues, as well as the air traffic impact. So uh, we know this affects pretty much every pilot and we're doing everything we can with the FAA to try to mitigate this and get through it. Yeah, that's what AOPA does best. That's why your membership is important. And it's not like a sell for memberships right now. Everyone should probably hold on to their money because you never know what's going to come. But if when the time comes and you have extra money, an AOPA membership does go a long way for sure. Well, thank you, Justin. I appreciate the opportunity. I actually had one more question before I was going to let you go. I'm sorry. I just thought about this, but it has been brought up. Do you think in any way any of these bills would would require some kind of maybe possible like a nationalization of an airline or even a lot of uh, the airlines giving back at all certain things? Um, I have not been following the discussion. I've seen some discussions about equity uh, during some of the bailout discussions, but I, I am not privy to specific discussion of nationalization or anything like that. And, um, I, I, I don't, I don't know how serious those conversations are. Yeah. Good. Well, that's just all I have for you then. Those are the last question I had. Rune, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, this is going to come out soon. So uh, get ready to share it. Get ready to tell all your friends and people that this is out because I think this is a very valuable conversation that we had. And I think that maybe it'll help ease some fears about people thinking about the airspace shutting down and how that's not even a factor right now. They're not even really thinking about that. So thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, Justin. Thank you. No problem. Have a good day. Aviation that's a wrap on the National Airspace System podcast with Rune Duke from AOPA. Special shout out to Kevin Cortez for setting that up. I really do appreciate that. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes, preferably five stars, and that helps us get noticed. It helps the algorithm pick us up so more people can listen to this content. I appreciate you listening, and if you don't already, follow us on Instagram at Pilot the Pilot, Twitter at Pilot the Pilot. You can check out our normal website, pilotthepilothq.com, and you can also find more up-to-date information and news aviationcoronavirusnews.com where I'm making updates literally 24-7 about what is happening and how it is affecting our industry. First blog post is up. Go ahead and check that out as well. Aviation, I want to keep you in. Our last thing I'll say, and I know this is quick and I know this is fast, but we are. Uh, this episode is put together in 30 minutes, so the editing might not be as good as you're used to. My editor, Kevin, isn't actually editing. I'm just throwing this together because I think just this quality of content needs to get out and people need to hear this pronto. So it is out there. Let me know what you think. Send me an email, email pilotthepilothq at gmail.com. Have a good one.